Hello, and welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. We are live at the Charles Schwab Impact Conference, and you will hear background music because we're smack dab in the exhibit hall. Thanks to Discovery Database, Discovery Data, and we thank Charles Schwab for hosting us. This is your host, Doug Heikinen. The Permission to Succeed podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who found some point in their lives to throw caution aside and just go for it. The genesis of this podcast is based on the great appreciation for the lives of Dr. Martin Luther King and Muhammad Ali and their world change and impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by iris.xyz, the most helpful place advisors can come to to grow their minds and their businesses. Power your advice at iris.xyz. And we're joined after lunch by Yelia Schomburg. Hello. Who's the co-founder and chief product officer of InvestCloud, who was a very small firm and now they're gigantic. Huge. Huge. Global dominations in our site. And they're based in? We're based in Los Angeles, West Hollywood to be specific, at the Pacific Design Center, which is a large protruding green building in the middle of West Hollywood. And, Hard to miss. And how's that working for you? It's working great. It's a great place to visit, and our clients love to come and visit us there. And how's the commute? My commute, it's a Los Angeles commute. You know, it's 35, 45 minutes of or two hours. getting to enjoy. No, <laughs> no, fortunately not. One must design their life accordingly. That's and it. mine is not designed for the two-hour commute. If you live in Los Angeles, don't hit the 405 during rush hour times, and you'll be just fine. Exactly. Besides that, we have lovely side streets and businesses to visit and kind of meander down the road and make our way to, the, to work and back. So, InvestCloud, how long have you, when, your co-founder, when did you found it? I am. We started in 2010. So, spring of 2010 in a garage in West Hollywood. The typical California garage story. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Tuesdays, there was no conference calls because that was when the gardener came and it was quite loud with a leaf blower. Fortunately, with the temperature uh, in a climate like in Los Angeles, you can have, you can work in a garage most days, leave the door open, get some fresh air. And were there two of you at that time? There was five. There was five in the garage. There was five of us. And the vision, the reason for starting the company? The reason for starting the company came from the the prior company, which was focused on data warehousing. Um, so traditional architecture, enterprise software delivered to large institutions with a price tag in the millions of dollars. So when you think about that, you think you build a deep expertise and you build this extensive product and then you have a very limited market you can actually sell it to. Because how many people can afford a multi-million dollar price tag and then actually afford to maintain it and deploy, you know, updates and, and, and everything to it. So really that was the genesis of saying we have all this this expertise. How do we take it and make it available to hundreds and thousands of people and really build a new platform for it? Do what we did wrong and do it better. So in a nutshell, what does InvestCloud do? InvestCloud builds, uh, digital, has a digital platform and builds tools for money managers and uh, asset servicing providers. So money, money owners and money managers with extensive tools for them. We have a, a library of about 300 plus apps where our clients come to us and basically cherry pick. It's hyper modular so they can grab which apps they want and put them together. A lot of clients come to us for a client portal, so where their clients can come and actually log in and visit their money, reporting, um, thought leadership, etc. Advisor portals, relationship management portals where they can go and actually then see who their clients are and what their clients are up to mobile experiences so their clients can actually be at their fingertips and see uh, how their wealth is doing and, 
and again, thought leadership and reporting and asset allocations, all those fascinating things like that. Um, so those are those are a couple examples of, of some of the key apps that our clients come to us for. But like I said, we have a library of over 300. So a decade of, over a decade of working with financial advisors, what are some of the changes or the challenges you're, you're seeing they're facing? Sure. There's a couple that we see very, very frequently. One of them that comes to mind is, I think I mentioned earlier, digital transformation. So I think this business traditionally was paper-based, relationship-based, etc. And a lot of people are very comfortable with that, but that's not really the way of the, the future. So that's not, that's not how money is now being interacted with. I think in our personal lives, we're all using apps and computers, and we want things at our fingertips when and how we want them. So if that's Sunday night at 8 p.m., because you're thinking about doing your, your financial management then, you want to be able to log in and you know start getting information and making decisions and actioning things that you want on your timetable. So there's a digital transformation happening that a lot of our clients know they need to get on. They need a digital roadmap. They need to begin on their journey, but they're not exactly sure how. And so we, we see that as a big conversation piece for our clients. And what kind of advice are you giving them? Get a digital strategy, get a roadmap, you know, and, and just start on it. So step by step, make it a revolution, sorry, make it an evolution instead of a revolution. I think the days of, of wanting to completely revamp things and, you know, the big bang and then turn it on and have it all work perfectly are gone. What you need is you need a partnership that you can evolve with because this business is changing. It has changed. And I think where it's going, people aren't exactly sure. And so you need, you need a platform underneath you and you need a partnership or you need the skill set in-house to be able to evolve with trends and this digital change that's with us and in front of us. I think it's very honest in saying people aren't really sure where it's going because you have their value proposition being looked at, you have price compression, how are they making money, is Amazon or Facebook going to get into the business? Exactly. So what do you see in there? Yeah, 10 years ago, I don't think anyone, and, and if they said they would have guessed this, I think they're lying, right? That, that suddenly, who's offering credit cards? Who's offering banking services? Who's kind of eating whose lunch? Like, I don't think anyone necessarily saw this exact environment coming, so I don't think anyone knows where, where it is going. But what I do think is important is that you have the agility and the flexibility to evolve what your business is and what kind of clients you can support, right? And that's that's through efficiencies, obviously, and, and a variety of platforms and what we kind of call um, personas, is being able to being able to look at your client base and say, who are our clients now? Who do we think our clients are going to be? Who do we need, need our next clients to be? And then how do we how do we reach them empathetically? And it's not going to be through, you know, cold calling because those days are done. It's going to have to be through a digital format, you know. So we, we talk a lot about digital empathy. What resonates with me and builds trust with me as an individual is going to be different than than someone you know uh, in a in a prior generation with more of a traditional a traditional feel for what they want out of a relationship manager or out of, or out of a wealth advisor. Do you think the industry is falling behind? I mean, you mentioned just a minute ago like these companies doing all these different things. Like Apple has a credit card. Apple has TV. Apple has financial services. Doesn't hasn't seemed to have any of that imagination that the rest of the world has. No, I would I would say you, you hit the nail on the head. It, it has fallen behind. I mean, years ago, I'll give this example. So in 2010, we started InvestCloud in a garage, right? So someone actually, I joke about this because it was a, um, a peer of ours, a very, a very well-known peer in the industry who said, you got to remove the name cloud from your name. No one's going to buy anything cloud in this business. 
no one's going for it, no one's biting. And, you know, you guys are going to shoot yourselves in the foot. So get rid of the name Cloud. And we're just scratching our heads thinking, this is kind of where things are going. And at the time, and, and I bring this up because what you were saying was, in our personal lives, we were all logging into Gmail. We were using Yahoo. We were using, you know, the World Wide Web. So here we were, like, putting, trusting our personal information in the cloud. But the emotions around money were so that everyone was terrified about in this industry about cloud. You know, then years later, it was all things cloud, but no public cloud, no AWS, right? Because that was terrifying. Because like, who can get who can get your information then? Now we have big, you know, big names, big clients. These are multinational and, and international players who are saying we actually have a relationship with AWS. We want an environment in the cloud. Like we want it here. We want it there. That kind of thing. So it's, there's an evolution there of. Of, of trends that we saw in other industries that we're still catching up with. So I, I think that was that was an example. Oh, and, and on that, we actually tried to buy the domain iCloud in 2010. You did? We did. We made a bid to the anonymous owner for, I think we started at 5000 and we're like, you're welcome. Here's $5,000. They said, no, thank you. So we said, fine, make it 10 no, 15, and we said, well, now you're being rude because you're not even using the domain, so whoever you are, give us the domain because we're InvestCloud. We want the domain InvestCloud and iCloud. They declined, and two years later, <laughs> you know, good old good old Steve and Johnny were like, welcome to the world of iCloud. And we're like, oh, we were there first. But, not quite, but you yes. You weren't there first. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> My goodness. So, what's going on in the world of wealth transfer? We talked a little bit about this before we went on, and we're going to get in there. But here's here's something we didn't talk about. People like me, the older male, and there's going to be wealth transfer, and whether it's women or children, with technology, what happens if we live too long and spend it all? Mm. My parents told me as a child. They said, "Listen, we have a plan. It's to spend all of our money. We're dying poor. Yeah. Good luck." Yeah, the whole thing of the right? last check I write is going to yeah. be bankrupt. Exactly. And I was like, okay, that's fair. So you're right. I, that's that's a trend, whether deliberate or not. Yeah. But I think we need we need to put the tools together that people can actually start understanding what that means for them. If they're not, if they're not coming into a trust fund, if they're not coming into an inheritance, so be it. That is the majority of, of people in the reality. Is What does that mean earlier on in their life in terms of making decisions? I was just up giving a presentation on financial planning, and traditionally financial planning came when someone sat down when you were rich and you had a complex scenario, and someone sat down with you and actually discussed what that looked like and leaving money behind and a legacy and, you know, tax efficiencies and these structures and, and it was it's kind of for the elite but that's not who needs a financial plan I mean they do as well but why don't why don't people out of college need a financial plan to pay off student debt to save for a house to talk about you know whether they're doing family planning and things like that so everybody in fact needs a financial plan before you go to college before you go to college right <laughs> saving for college right because exactly. college can be so expensive that nobody's going to go anymore exactly so so it's changing so who needs these services and what and what they need at different times is changing and i think only through empowering a tool set and really going into the digital world and looking for those efficiencies can you suddenly start to open up who your client base is and actually actually give them what they need at the stage in life that they need it. Earlier you said the keepers of wealth is going to be very different moving forward. I think so. Talk about that. Um. 
Um, there's a lot of studies out there which are, are fascinating. I heard one statistic that I think in the millennial um, the millennial generation, 70% of the households, the, the finances were run by, by a female. I don't know if that's because they're single, because <laughs> they're like, you know, we're, we're strong and single, or if it's just that those are where the decisions are now being made. There's also the the fact that the transfer of wealth is happening as baby boomers are are passing away and that wealth is being passed down for those of us <laughs> those of us that, that have a plan besides their parents dying broke, you know, things like that. Um, so that's that transfer of wealth to a younger generation. There's also the dissemination of wealth, right, as a baby boomer or whatnot passes, then that wealth may go to two or three children. Um, it may go to a wife as well who has no traditional relationship with that um, quote-unquote kind of like wealth manager that that the patriarch had that relationship and now the matriarch has no relationship and she has the money and she can make different choices. So I think there's that component and then there's the one obviously there's the technology generation that's coming along and um, you know like the Facebooks of the world that where you have these these young rich um, individuals who've been very successful at a young age who also have have created immense wealth and it's not what a traditional um, I think prior a traditional kind of keeper of wealth or, or wealthy individual looked like. So how's InvestCloud addressing some of these needs for advisors? That's my favorite question. Thanks for asking. You're welcome. Um, so how we're addressing it is what we, what we call kind of digital empathy and personas. So we create on our platform a variety of different personas. We have some clients with 12 different personas. What that means is that that younger generation, maybe, maybe it's your son who wants to log in and start getting familiar with what it is to save and what it is to have a financial plan. Besides looking at YouTubers? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe there's a link to YouTube on there for them. Um, but how is it that you get engaged with them and the persona, the digital persona that you give to them still taps into important information for them, but then there's a digital persona that resonates with you and that can have a conversation with you. We also highly leverage, um, we have 14 dynamics of behavioral science that we use, so um, some in the realm of decision making, some in the world of, um, of just behavioral science, and so what we'd like to do is we'd like to look at those and integrate those into our designs, into our interactions, to be able to, to make sure that our users are having experiences that actually tap into the human element of who they are, like building community. Right, giving them relevant content and making them feel trust. Um, another one, like the Hitchcock effect, making them feel that there's there's more around there if they keep coming back, if they keep reading and self-educating, there's more that will be revealed to them, right? That they can come up a level. There's leveling, like so that they they've now educated themselves to a level and now they're engaging more on on more of a financial plan or more providing more information that actually provides them value in return. What's the, what's the response to advisors once they see this? Um, the advisors that really are very clear that their business is changing and they're willing to take that on head on get very excited about that. They see in us uh, the ability to create a partnership that will kind of go the distance and, and can kind of change as they need. And then, of course, they can kind of adopt and pay accordingly. It's not, like I said earlier, some massive revolution that's going to be filled with bloodshed and, you know, and eat their lunch. You know, they're looking for ways to continue to add value to their clients and grow their business. And, and that will just look different. And so we're coming in there and trying to say, well, let us help you gain efficiencies and operationalize and do some of the things that use that value but don't really add value anymore, but they have to be done. It's important that those functions are done, but what your clients are looking to you for now are more value-added services. So 
alleviate yourself of those tasks. Let's automate them, technologically speaking, and now let's give you more time to add value to clients. So those clients that are actually looking at it from this value added get very excited that we can make their lives better, make their client experience richer, um, and ultimately they have like a partner to help them innovate where we spend a huge amount of our time and effort and resources innovating every year just on our own accord and then bringing that out to market and bringing that out to clients and saying this is what we think you know you want you in and, and it's up to them so we, we see a lot of adoption there and we see a lot of excitement so you grew up in LA I didn't. You didn't? I live in L.A. You live in L.A. I know. I'm a Los Angelite born again, I guess, because I grew up in Alaska. Yeah. Yeah, the 49th state. Two and a half times the size of Texas. And you found your way there. And I found my way. It was a a long, meandering road, but I found my way there. And then you picked financial services. I did. I picked financial services at a young age, and then technology in financial services picked me. Moose for financial services? That young of an age. (laughs) Yes. So, a little bit about that journey. (laughs) What, A A and B? It doesn't look like a straight line, does it? No, it doesn't. No, it's not. never is. Um, who has it said once, like, life's more of a jungle gym, you know, than, than these linear lines? Yeah. It is. So I, I studied finance and accounting, small business management and taxation at university. Um, I always found it interesting, I think probably because my father told me, one, he was dying broke, and two, gave me a credit card in my name at the age of 12 and a checkbook at the age of 13. And he was like, good luck, and here's, here's what you're going to need to start saving for for college. So my father and, and mother, because they were great partners in life, really instilled in me the level of responsibility and an awareness of money. Even if you don't have it, one must be aware of it. So I think that that probably sparked my interest. And then I went into it. I thought it was a dynamic industry. And it's a pretty broad industry. I mean, you think about it when, when I say, oh, you know, if someone says that they're in financial services, it can be anything, it can be anything especially now. So I was interested in that and, and the level of dynamicism and, and opportunity out there. So I, so I studied it, and I thought I was going to go into investment banking. And then it was 2001 or was it 2002? I don't know. When everything just kind of froze and schlumped. And uh, and I moved over to London. And so I lived in England and went into prime brokerage, into the alternative space, mm-hmm. working with, um, with hedge funds, startup hedge funds, and helping them kind of set up their businesses. So what... On God's earth, did you think you could start a business? What gave you the permission to do so? To do so. And why did you think you could do it? That's a great, great question. All that, the, the audacity, right? Yes. Um, yeah, so in 2008, I think we all know what the landscape looked like in 2008. Great time. Start a business. Yeah, fun for us all. Um, no, but those were those were tough times, and it was you didn't have a lot to lose because most of us kind of lost, you know, what you already had to lose. It wasn't carnage for everybody. I, I'm not implying it was for me, but it was but it was tough times. And so, you know, here we are in 2009 and kind of starting to orchestrate Invest Cloud, and we had on our team we have kind of great expertise and great leadership. One of the co-founders, John Wise, and CEO. Uh, this is his eighth company. So I guess the, the new popular phrase is like a serial entrepreneur, but very much a serial entrepreneur and had relentless drive. So with him at the helm, I felt, I felt really confident that I wasn't sure exactly what this business was going to look like, how it was going to take shape, but that we were going to get momentum and we were going to go somewhere. And I think when you find the right people, 
you know, on the bus. We had technical expertise, we had business expertise, we had deep kind of data financial services knowledge from all of us, and then we had strong leadership. And then the rest is, I won't say history yet, but the rest is in the making, and, and it's something that we committed to because we knew that we had trust in each other and that we were going to continue to be, I think agile is overused or maybe it's a little passe, but we were going to continue to be agile and to evolve as our landscape changed and as our clients' needs changed and as what we found out about what we could actually offer the world changed. We were committed to doing that. Five-year agile. 350 now? Yes. Not so agile. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. We've worked so hard to keep the culture, uh-huh. and our leadership still very much demands that of us, of me, of you know the teams underneath me, etc. We have a user group every year, and every year we're we're putting out new products. This is not what we we don't have five-year timelines. This business can't afford it. Technology can can no longer wait for it. You know, things need to be spearheaded and they need to go quickly. And then we need to be able to iterate on those. You seem like you're having fun. Having a lot of fun. I mean, you spend a lot of time at work, whoever you are in whatever you're doing. So it's it's a privilege to to enjoy it. Um, I hope everybody finds enjoyment and fulfillment in their in their work. But it's it's a privilege. It's one of the things actually it's written on our wall. If you come to our offices, which I hope you do, uh, in West Hollywood at the Pacific Design Center, it's we actually have a couple statements on the wall. One of them is it's a privilege to serve. Any advice for an entrepreneur that's trying to do something that you don't have to do? No. You started to do the garage thing. Yeah, I would. I would say what I learned in this is being absolutely terrified, but comfortable being completely uncomfortable. And so I'll elaborate on that. What that means is whether it's a changing industry, kind of changing beneath your feet, or new terrain that you're embarking on yourself as an entrepreneur, things will be different than you expect. And don't fight that. Go with it. But not only go with it, kind of lean into it. I equate it sometimes to we're skiing. If someone's skiing... You're skiing downhill, you're kind of going fast, and what do they always tell you? Like, lean in, shins against your ski boots, right? But it's terrifying, because what you kind of want to do is lean back. But if you lean back, you're, you're just going to kind of take yourself out, maybe someone else. Or you just have a wobbly kind of crap experience down the hill. You lean in, shins against the boots, next thing you know, you were terrified all the way down, but you're you're elated, right? You've, you've achieved something, you've gone somewhere that you didn't think you were going to. So that's a bit, you know, of a, a, a stretch in terms of analogy, but what I learned in doing this is I didn't know that much about technology. I knew about financial services, but I had a lot to learn, and I've done a lot of different roles in different hats, like worn a lot of different hats, that I wouldn't have necessarily expected. And every time I was either, you know, terrified or respectfully terrified of, of the task ahead, the point is just start. Just do it, and you'll learn along the way and be willing to adapt. Don't get so stuck in what you think something is or what you believe you are, and you go for it. And, and let the market tell you. Let trusted advisors tell you. Take that feedback. Take the hard feedback and digest it and get back up and, and try something else. So if people want to find you, do not go to iCloud.com. No. Go to... You'll find all your all your Apple data there, but you won't find us. No, uh, investcloud.com. Uh, we're there. We're also in most of the, the major financial service centers ac- across the globe. And we always like people to kind of come in and either explore with us if they want to do uh, a design exploration to look at what their universe could look like. 
we're a digital agency as well, and so we design a lot with our clients. Um, if they want to sit down and, and look through and see visualizations or demonstrations, or they just want to see what we're up to. That's great. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me. We'd also like to thank the folks at Discovery Data for hosting us, Charles Schwab's Impact Conference, and the Permission to See podcast team. This is Doug Heikinen. Thanks very much.